Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography, with me, Jem Fletcher. Today, I'm talking with creative director Lydia Pang. Lydia is one of those incredibly talented hybrid creatives whose passion and work ethic is infectious. She cut her teeth in visual commissioning and brand aesthetics before landing her current position at the mission-led digital company Refinery29. What I love about Lydia is that she's not afraid to confront the messy reality of surviving and thriving in this industry. She's made it her mission to support new voices and given many photographers their first big job. She's a real advocate for constant learning and discovery, no matter where you are in your career, and she lives and breathes this ethos herself. In this podcast, I really wanted to capture a 360 view of the industry, and commissioners play a crucial role in how the future is being shaped. For me, there's no one better than Lydia to bring focus to the issues that photographers are facing in this time of constant flux. And just a little note to say we recorded this interview via Skype, so apologies if the sound is not as good as previous episodes. Obviously, you grew up in a small town in Wales, and I wondered how that environment affected your affected and informed your creativity. It's a funny one, actually, because I feel like people would imagine that I kind of became a creative when I moved to London. But actually, where I'm from, although a tiny little town, is very it's very beautiful and is maybe not the most creative place. But I actually had a very creative family, which I think. And and also as well, when you're somewhere where it's not that um, nourishing creatively, you seek it out. And I think that's a really important part of of my kind of like beginnings, because I mean, even from from literally day trips to London to like seek out galleries, which felt like so like exciting and really made it really made it like, I don't know, feel like a bit of a pilgrimage to like even MySpace hacking and kind of like finding avenues online to like express myself and like, you know, take pictures and like hack HTML and kind of feel like that was a creative medium too. But I think when you're in a place that isn't naturally creative, you seek it out more. And I think it pushes you to, to want to be different. And I was so like lucky. I had like my mum and dad, both super creative. My mum's a photographer and she had a gallery in our house like every year she would like host a gallery in our living room and so it was very much that creativity was brought to my house um and it also very much showed that like fuck it like if it's not around you make it like bring it to you um and that spirit was kind of what I what I was brought up with um that's so cool yeah I was really lucky and I think I I also was unusually I was I really loved that I was different and I was half Chinese um and I kind of that was very I, there was no one else like that in my school you know I it was it was very different and I loved that I felt so lucky that I had something that made me unique um and then I you know I loved the fact that I had um my pawpaw and my gung gung my Chinese grandparents just down the road and I was able to try all this weird different food and had a different kind of perspective on the world because I you know I, I grew up with a different culture despite being in South Wales which is like such a such a kind of gray and very average place to grow up um 
but yeah, I kind of indulged in the fact that I was a bit different. So who were your heroes or influences growing up? I feel like because my mum was a photographer and she studied quite late, she kind of informed what I was inspired by. I spent quite a lot of time at the local university in the dark room with her because she was she was doing all that while we while we were at school. So she kind of didn't she didn't really have a choice. We had to be involved in the in, you know, purely because she was juggling us. So I was exposed to quite a few cool photographers um, quite early on, one that was you know, really inspiring to me was Sally Mann. My mum did a whole her whole dissertation around the maternal gaze, and she studied a lot of Sally Mann. So I feel like Sally Mann's books and photography were just around the house. Um, so I was always very inspired by portrait photographer photography, um, and also surrealism from an early age. It was very like kind of I know I used to really seek out like anything that felt a bit like odd or a bit off or a bit dark. So you know, I loved like um, all the emo music. I used to love the fact that, you know, you'd have like male fronted bands who would be kind of, kind of blurring the lines when it came to like clothing and gender and wearing makeup. And I just felt like that was so cool and so inspiring and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of fed into surrealism in a, weird, in a weird way because of the fact that surrealist photography really plays with like perception and gender and identity and all of those really like harsh graphic black and white kind of like color that that always like I really gravitated towards that um but my mum really introduced me to a lot a lot of it and a lot of theory from a young age I remember kind of taking such a great interest in imagery and kind of imagery and branding like I, I like my favorite part of Vogue I remember getting my first Vogue subscription for my birthday one year um and my favorite part of Vogue would always be the first like 20 pages which was all the ads all the campaigns um because the writing in Vogue I feel like at that time was not as accessible it was kind of overly academic it felt like it was much older and I never really used to read it I wasn't really interested in reading about that stuff but I loved the the campaigns I loved thinking about who the photographers were that had produced these epic worlds yeah I never really felt like those magazines were for me to be honest but the, the, yeah. but the images were so exciting I thought I would try and unpack how they were made and you know everything from how they were styled to who was being cast and I just that was what was inspiring to me at the time it's kind of strange that I had like ads pinned up on my wall but you know. In some ways it really speaks to how you shape your career over the years and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your professional background. You've obviously worked in all areas of visual culture. Could you give us a little overview? Yeah oh my god I've had a funny old decade. I have packed quite a bit in but I feel like I, I started quite early. I was very very dedicated and um, ambitious, a little cocky I think. I, I, I knew I I knew what I wanted to do. And I, I was very lucky. My parents were, they just always wanted me to kind of go go for it. It doesn't matter what you do. We don't care what you do. Just be happy and make sure you're doing something you feel excited by. And like, what, what a gift, you know, what a lovely sort of place to enter the workplace. I just felt really, really lucky. So I was doing a lot of internships. Um, I remember being a teenager, you know, from the age of 15, I would, I would intern every summer somewhere, usually in London. I'd stay with my auntie. Um, and I was very, I was very driven. I was like, I need to get a certain amount of A's. I need to get into this uni. I went to Courtauld Institute of Art to do history of art, uh, which I didn't even feel like that was something I had to even deliver it over. I was like, obviously art history, because I wanted to learn how to dissect imagery and understand like semiotics behind something and the history and why, why something had happened. And theory was always something that I was introduced to Roland Barthes quite young because my mum was studying him when I was really young. And so I felt like that was just like a natural move. Um, and I was just like completely fearless. I did so many internships in journalism, in fashion, in PR, and 
I was just like kind of um, a process of elimination I, was my like thought. Do as many things as you can to try and make sure you know what you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when I went to uni, it kind of was like a bit of a, a bit of a humbling experience. I got there and everyone was like super like fancy and posh and everyone had come from very privileged backgrounds. It's that kind of institute the court old. Um, and so I was suddenly a bit out of my depth. And as much as I had all the passion and the heart for the subject, I hadn't done Latin in school, you know, <laughs> like my school didn't like give any, you know, providing those types of, um, those courses. So yeah, that was a bit tricky. And I had a difficult first couple of years in uni, but then I really found, I think this is the reason why I kind of excelled my career because I really found my voice quite young during uni. I feel like people kind of just like get pissed, figure it out in uni, hope for a good grade, don't know what job I'm going to get next. I wasn't like that at all. Like I didn't really have any friends during uni. I was very focused on getting on with the course, like enjoying, learning as much as I could. And, you know, I think the first year I was very much trying to like perform at other people I saw around me and be like them. Mm -hmm. And then through kind of getting really bad grades, not really making friends and losing my way a little bit, I had to have a bit of a come to Jesus of like, what am I actually about though? And I took some time to like really think about what I wanted to do with my career and what I wanted to, the things I wanted to align myself with and what I wanted my dissertation to be about. And so I think having a little bit of a crisis and a pivot quite early set me up then to be quite confident. And then I just sort of ran. So after uni, I moved to Hong Kong, which is where my dad's from stayed in our little house in a village outside of uh, the main main bit of Hong Kong and I interned at like a digital ad agency I, I didn't really know like you know I didn't really know if the role was right for me but I was just excited to straight away be on the ladder I wanted to straight away be in an ad agency because I felt like you know I'd been so inspired by brands that had created these interesting and impactful images I knew I wanted to be wherever that was happening and to me that was an ad agency um and so yeah I worked to this digital agency in Hong Kong and then moved back and then I, I, I applied for an internship at MNC Saatchi, which to me, again, was like the great. I, I, my parents were always like, go for the best. Choose the best uni you physically can and try and get in. You know, and MNC felt like the, the best. It felt like the best at the time. And mm-hmm. they didn't really offer any like in, you know, you couldn't really go into creative. It was quite tricky. And you had to have done like, you know, that advertising course that everyone was doing at the time. Um, I think it was in Stratford. And then everyone was doing like art direction and copywriting and stuff like that. And I didn't know how to do any of those things. I just knew that I was loved images, knew a lot about photography, um, followed a lot of photographers. And so I applied for an internship as an account manager, which is so funny because I'm so bad at like all of those things. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of funny. I just felt like that was a way to get in the room at least. Yeah. But I just I distinctly remember my interview that morning. It was snowing and my dad drove me up from Wales and I had I had made this um like 3d installation of of a resume of a cv and it was like this vintage suitcase that when you opened it it kind of erected into this beautiful um like maquette basically so it was a washing line and hanging on this 3d washing line were objects that i'd made that symbolized different parts of like my passion points basically it was very intense i looked ridiculous (laughs) i walked in there's all these like starched very account man like gelled hair and I was like oh no I fucked this up these guys are like perfect for this internship and I look like a melon and so it was it was it was interesting but I again I was I was proud to be different and it it worked I I didn't get that job obviously because that would have been hilarious but the HR um department there were like you clearly belong in creative so I don't know how I wangled it because now I know how hard it is to get those internships. You know, you have to have a full on portfolio as if you're a functioning art director in the industry. And it's like you've just come out of school, you know. 
Um, but yeah, so I started in the art buying department, um, commissioning tiny, tiny projects. And to be honest, the first year I spent on Getty, like pulling images, that was like my whole year, but I was just happy to be there. And I would hang out with the art directors and, you know, join brainstorms with them. And I felt excited by what we were doing. Um, so yeah, I was there for a little while. I kind of worked my way up, um, ended up, uh, overseeing the art buying department, which was the department that was commissioning all the illustration and photography. Um, and then, and then kind of quite bravely sort of going to my executive creative director and pitching an idea for how to sort of change the department. Cause I could see that art buying was a sort of a weirdly, not, not a dying craft, but certainly a craft that was becoming deprioritized in an agency. I think as things became more tight money wise, it felt like a nice to have, it felt like a luxury to have someone have a point of view on photography and bring that to a brief. Like, why can't you just let the art director decide? And then you should just be producers. I could see that happening and turning. Yeah. Um, which is sad, but reality of the world. Um, and so I kind of pitched this idea of, okay, we should be the commissioners, but we should also be the ones that are coming up with visual content ideas. So not the big campaigns, not the TV ads, but like who's coming up with like the ideas for like digital. Maybe there's like online content. Maybe there's idea, all the other stuff basically that the, um, the teams weren't really set up to do at the time because it was much more traditional then. Um, so yeah, and that's what we ended up doing. And I, I would work with the ECD directly on like pitches, kind of shaping the look and feel for campaigns up front. So like, how are we going to rebrand this um, photography style for NatWest or Virgin? And n- now when I think about it, I'm like, what an amazing position I was in. I would cover a room in images like crazy um like a crazy person, like a beautiful mind <laughs> with like pieces of string. <laughs> and, and I would like bring her in and, you know, her name was Elspeth Lynn and she had a lot of belief in me. And I'm very, very lucky that she, she gave me a platform to bring what I could to the table. And she, she would come in and we would go walk through all the different um, photographers that I felt like would work. And we, we would pitch this whole new aesthetic to a brand and it worked, you know, we got a lot of work that way. And it was amazing being part of it. And that's when I started to be on set and think, oh, shit, I want to be an art director. This is, like, amazing. As much as I love commissioning, that bit over there I like as well. And it kind of felt like that throughout my career, actually. My career very much maps the changing industry from print to digital because I happen to have lived through that kind of juncture. And also, um, I collected things I wanted to do along the way, you know. I, I would hang out with art directors and think, oh, I want a little bit of your job. Um and then I would hang out with somebody who worked in editorial because we did a magazine for Peroni uh, called The House of Peroni. And it was this cool editorial magazine, um, but for a brand. So it's basically branded content, which is what I do now. And yeah. I remember thinking, oh, I want to do a bit of that as well. That looks really fun. So I kind of collected things I wanted to fancy doing along the way. Um, and then from MNC, I feel like I really got, I really earned my name and I earned my stripes. I commissioned a lot of, you know, emerging people and young people who weren't being given a chance. And I'm really proud of that because you know, it was a big agency and we had big budgets and great brands. And I, I, I gave a lot of um, work to people who didn't even have representation at the time. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, so, yeah, I kind of from there, I just ran. I was like at Anomaly, um, Anomaly London, which is an incredible shop, like very much anti-agency, a perfect place for me. Um, they very much embraced that I was a hybrid of many skills and they made me feel proud of that, which was nice because I would kind of felt like a bit of an imposter. Because it's hard, it's hard in advertising. People want you to be a designer or a copywriter. They want to like put you in a box, and that's, yeah, it's very stressful. Because <laughs> I'm like, no, I can kind of do a little bit of all of that. Is that okay? Yeah, happy, happy to pay me for that. Um, 
so yeah that that was that was great I, I met Alex Holder I ended up doing some really cool freelance projects and that's when I really started to shape my own voice in the industry and learn this and use the skills I'd learned to do personal projects and I think that's when I started becoming um, a good creative I, I did the that project with um, Rape Crisis UK which, uh, this doesn't mean yes which was an amazing um, project all around clothing and consent and we partnered with Peru um, you know obviously like a male photographer from the 90s very much known for his work kind of glorifying and, and sexualizing and objectifying women in a way and so it was cool to kind of change the way that his lens is operating and take um, images of women kind of very much owning their sexuality owning their um, choices and make that a, a dialogue about consent so that felt like quite a meaningful commission for me even if no one else uh, I mean it got picked up by pretty pretty good by a lot of press but I don't feel like anyone else really knew the significance of that commission and what I was trying to say and what I was trying to yeah. do by using him but um I felt good about it <laughs> um and then I partnered with um Elle magazine to do a cool video about um how there should be room for more women at the top and that did pretty well too so I got a few things where I started aligning with my my personal set of beliefs my belief system and using what I'd learned to create create work around that and that's when I became I think confident and much happier in the industry because advertising is also kind of grim it's also still riddled with so much bias and so many you know there's so many people that have been doing it a long time and they hold a lot of the power and you have to hope that you have there are people out there that believe and that you know pull other women up with them or like you know understand that there's a conversation to be had around bringing more voices to the table and what you know the difference between diversity and the workforce and inclusion and actually letting them have a voice and I don't necessarily think that we're there but I think um, it's interesting to see advertising agencies be held more accountable for that. And also the work is suffering because they're not allowing this diverse set of voices and experiences to inform it. Obviously, the consumer is so diverse. And so I'm kind of enjoying watching advertising be held more accountable at the moment. Absolutely. It's really crazy, actually, how slow the industry is moving to rectify some of this. Exactly. And I think it's a very fear-based model, you know, because... You know, I, I obviously ended up in New York and I'm now at a media, um, a media company, a, a digital media company for women, um, Refinery29, which is just like such a home for me spiritually um, and really feels like the culmination of all of my life experiences. I feel like I'm tasked every day to service this amazing activated audience with brand messages and translate brands for this audience. And I'm very held, I'm held very accountable for, you know, measurement and return on investment and making sure I'm pushing forward the mission and suddenly those things are very visible. And I feel like for ad agencies, you kind of just put it out in the world and just hope for the best. And mm -hmm. that's not really the, the, the way that we work in, in, in digital media because everything is so, um, you mean you can, you can literally measure everything. So it's interesting to me that ad agencies are still operating as they are. I think they're, they're relying on, on brands that are fearful of the new systems. They're relying on brands that, know that, that don't know that they need to be partnering with publishers and platforms and bringing those capabilities in-house um which is kind of interesting to me because it's almost like everyone's scared hanging out together that's how I think about an ad agency right now it's absolutely true visionary companies like refinery are really leading the way the thing with traditional advertising is that the audience has evolved beyond their ideas especially for younger generations who demand so much more from brands beyond a nice product it's just not acceptable anymore brands need genuine ethics Exactly. And I'm, I'm quite, I'm quietly, enjoy, I'm so evil. I'm quietly enjoying watching that happen because <laughs> it's not, it's not acceptable. I mean, and, and watching brands as well, get it so 
wrong when they try and align with mission-driven causes or when they try and align with cultural moments of, of importance that actually have nothing to do with like what yogurt or you know a fizzy drink it's like tragic to see them try and do that but similarly I think it's a good example to other brands to make sure that they're being meaningful and actually silence is deadly if you're not you know speaking up and trying to use the brand as a vehicle for some sort of good in some small way you're kind of fucked because people are like well I don't want to buy from a brand that doesn't align with my values and actually, I demand that you uh, have a dialogue with me daily. And I demand that the creative that you make, you know, speaks to me in different ways at different times on different platforms and is optimized for that. And that, I think, is, 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 must be very intimidating for some of those old brands who aren't quite sure how to navigate the new, the new waters. And then you see brands like Gucci, which is like one of the most heritage brands out there, really like stepping up to the plate and thinking, this is a whole new world. Like, there's no way that we can do this any other way apart from to just reinvent it. And I have a lot of respect for the way that they've leveraged their brand and their comms and all of their different channels. I think that's it's been amazing to see a brand that's older do that really well, you know. What's so funny is the opportunity is probably the most exciting thing that's happened in advertising for a really long time. And it has the potential to be so much more of a vibrant and engaging space. Yeah, I completely agree. But then I think a lot of those people, a lot of those creatives who are still in an ad agency, they are the, ret- you know, the retained account, it, you know, campaign bursts, you know, big print ads. Like That is a very stifling place to be create- creatively because yeah. I remember being there and put, you know, at the very back of the pitch deck would be an idea that was pushing forward culture in some way, an idea about partnering with a charity or or creating some real world, you know, difference, those ideas would be the ideas that you know the client wouldn't buy. And so you'd be scared to put them at the front of the deck and they'd be at the back. And I think creatives in ad agencies are kind of, they're not being given the opportunity to pitch those ideas because frankly, they're coming to places like Refinery, Vice, other platforms to do that type of work because it's a safe space. Refinery has, you know, the authority, a decade's worth of mission-driven work that they've been doing and you know that if you want to speak to women or you want to align with International Women's Day or you want to have a conversation around, you know, racial inclusion, you come to somewhere like a refinery because you know that we've been doing that a while so that you're not going to get called out for jumping on it. You know, there's a lot of discussion now about how visual culture is shaping and informing our mental health in both positive and negative ways. How do you make sense of the world around you as a creative director? And how are you identifying the conversations or issues which you believe deserve more focus? Yeah, that's a big old question that. I mean, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's funny because I feel like I used to get so much um, solace and sanctuary and peace from imagery. That is why I got into this industry, because I felt like so moved by images and I felt like they had the, the, the power within them to, to shift perceptions and do great things. And I think actually the way that visual culture has dominated and democratized has become really quite exhausting I feel like my eyes always feel tired and busy it feels so busy Mm -hmm. and so my response to that in the last couple of years has been I tend to not really pick up um photography books or magazines like I used to and that may be because I have a job now where I'm you know I'm, I'm thinking about that and I'm doing that every day um but I think I spend I I I my response to that has been kind of seeking out more of a tactile experience so I still get that um inspiration and solace when I go to a gallery or when I physically make something about three months ago I set myself a challenge of trying to seek out um that creative sort of solace again and I 
I basically, my response to feeling a little oversaturated with images is seeking out tactile experiences, real world experiences. So from galleries to making things in my own home. And I've never really been that kind of creative. I've never really been much of a maker. I've been much more of a person that observes and comments on, and I've written essays and that kind of thing. But um, so recently I did this project called Dead Flowers and it was just basically a way for me to just learn a new skill, how to like arrange like floral arrangements. I branded it. I produced a photo shoot. And do you know what? I found so much genuine satisfaction in the fact that it was for no one, for mm. nothing, no reason, no brand, no client. No, it wasn't to fulfill anything in me. It was just just to just try and try out something and to be inspired again. And it felt so nice to create a um a mood board and an art direction deck that no human will ever see it's about 60 pages <laughs> long and it it was really um satisfying and so i think actually my resp- my response to visual culture kind of informing how we feel and, and and kind of informing mental health has actually been to remove myself from it and take a little bit of respite because i think i've spent so many years now in it it can get quite overwhelming. And I feel that weight and responsibility, you know, working at refinery, I'm, I know I'm very lucky to have a job that pushes me to, um, to work with amazing initiatives like Planned Parenthood and the Women's March, but that is a big weight to carry. Like you don't want to mess that up. And I've, I've actually found that quite, um, that can actually be quite, um, stifling creatively because the, the, suddenly the stakes are so much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am lucky because a refinery actually is a, is a very, very, um, it's a truly, truly a very creative place. And there are so many people in that, in that building that are just, they know how to do so much. They're such makers, they're such dreamers, you know? And I think having the founders still on the ground and working with us as well has been amazing. My, uh, bosses like Piera, Christine and Amy, like they, they are epic women and, and I've learned a lot from them. Um, but yeah, that's kind of been my response to go back to sort of touching creativity and standing within it. Visibility is really crucial in this saturated marketplace. What's the most effective way of being noticed by commissioners? How do you think people can kind of disrupt in this sea of sameness? Yeah, I think that's a really it, that's a really good question because it's it's I am I am actually a big believer in you know you have to adapt and we we have to understand that this is the new these are the new channels and the mediums that we are now making for. And so for me, I understand that it can be intimidating to have to you know brand yourself basically and curate and run and show up in a meaningful way on all these different platforms but I I'm actually of the school of thought of you have to like I just don't know why you wouldn't do that like I understand that it can feel like how you how could you possibly get cut through when so many people are doing it but I'm I big, I'm a big believer that every link is created equal. And I can't remember who wrote that, but my boyfriend quoted it recently and I thought that was fucking smart. <laughs> and I, I feel like every link is created equal. And I feel the same about um about portfolios, about photographers. And if it's good, you will see it. You will see it. And I I I know that it feels like there are so many um creatives out there all trying to like get that attention. There's so much, and, and there is, there's more than ever, but I still believe that if you make something that speaks to people then the commissioners out there will see it. We will see it. And I, and, I'm, and I believe that now when I'm commissioning. I mean, I'm slightly more removed from the day-to-day commissioning, sadly, because I oversee those, those teams now. But, you know, when I'm involved in the projects in, in, um, in production and I look at the photographers, I, I, often I don't even know them. There are so many. And there are so many emerging, especially because we obviously champion um, female creatives and we make sure that we, you know, our crews and our cast and everybody that we um, work with is 
um, female. And so, you know, it's been amazing to see the amount of female photographers that have really risen and have actually been able to leverage their personal experiences and their, um, you know, topics that are important to them and bring their lens to it. And I think that we're in a really exciting place when it comes to women in photography, actually. Um, but yeah, to answer your original question, I'm harsh. I'm a bit, I'm a bit harsh with that because I'm like, you have to adapt. You have to get on board with the way that people are commissioning the way, you know, I'm on Instagram every day. Why would you not be on there in a meaningful way in front of me? That makes no sense to me. Especially when it's the space where brands want to dominate. Instagram's great, but it's no longer the platform we all signed up for, which was essentially friends TV and looking at the world through your friend's eyes. Now it's a commercial tool and it's an important channel for advertising. If you're a visual content maker and you're not proving that you can tell powerful stories in that space, you're definitely missing a trick. I think more people need to embrace your ethos. These platforms aren't new anymore. Creatives really, truly need to get on board. I totally agree. And I know it's hard when you craft this stunning image that feels like it's come from your soul. And it's like, even when you feel like you're distilling it into this tiny little square, like how depressing and reductive. And I, I get that. I actually do understand that. And I have friends who are um, photographers who have had to try and figure I mean even my mother like my mum's in her 50s and she was coding her own website the other day and I think that's such a good example of somebody who's just like these mediums are how people are reaching creativity and obviously my mum runs a gallery and so she's got her Instagram is like is tight like she's got that stuff down because she 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 observes she is seeking out research and she knows that she needs to have a presence and a voice on there and I have a lot of respect for her just like figuring it out um but also I think there's an element of, well, we're not commissioning for a 48-sheet billboard anymore. And so show me how you can manipulate and innovate this platform because that's super exciting. And those are the creators. I actually spoke on a panel this week at, um, at Instagram headquarters, which, by the way, is insane. They have free ice cream. And, um, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Uh, but, yeah, it was all about the... Um, the kind of significance of brands and branded content on Instagram and how creators, people on Instagram are, are, are making this incredible work. And, and it was interesting because no one on the panel with me was a, was a maker in the sense that they were an illustrator or a photographer. They were all people that had a point of view on the world and were making really interesting visuals. And it kind of tripped me up a little because I was like, oh, interesting. You just, your, your point of view is come first and you're able to manipulate this platform and shoot beautiful images, but you're not a photographer. And so, like that, I think is even tougher for, for photographers because they are like author first. They're, they're thinking about themselves as an artist and then they're thinking about the platform second. So I would encourage people to really like get familiar with those platforms because that's the work that we're making now. What are you seeking when you're looking for new talent? I'm not quite sure until I see it, but I know that images have the ability to make me feel so much, like so many feelings. And I've always been very um, like viscerally affected by images. And so I feel like you know, generally, I gravitate towards people who have a point of view on the world and they are bringing it to life in, in a way that I feel like no one else could. Um, like I often say, like, just shoot something that no one else could shoot, something that's just so intimate to your um, skill set, your the way you were brought up, your point of view now on the world, the things you want to do next. Like, make it feel like it's an extension of you and the cut through will be incredible because that authenticity is what we're it's the holy grail like we're all just seeking out true originality and true authenticity and I don't think that can be a byproduct of 
being inspired by someone and then trying super hard to like overly art direct it and trying to kind of be someone you admire and respect. And, you know, I've been there. I know exactly what it feels like to admire somebody or, or, or a set of people and feel like you want to become like them. And you kind of mimic that, right? You, you sort of wear it. Um, and I think when photographers do that, it's so transparent. Um, it just, it screams falsity. And I, and I, and I feel, I, I'm, I'm sad for them, but I'm also kind of like, good, you go into that good for you. And you'll come out at the end of that realizing that it didn't serve you. And actually you need to shoot something that is, um, personal to you and that moves you. And that I think can be quite tough because that takes a little bit of bravery. It takes a little bit of bravery to shoot something that you're not sure if anyone else is going to connect with. But I think nine times out of 10, if it's personal and it's an experience that you truly feel and you've managed to capture, someone else out there will, will see it and feel it too. And, and I think that that's really what I'm looking for. I absolutely agree. And this for me is a really important point. We experience more images than ever before. And it's so transparent when a project is derivative of something else. I think, to be honest, some photographers are a little bit in denial about this. And you're right about the bravery factor. It is tough. But we all have this ability within us. We just need to make the effort and time to look inwards. We're definitely starting to see great strides now between the people making truly personal work and everybody else. Such a massive weight to carry around, though, right? The, the, the want and the responsibility to make something and have others see it. Because, and, I'm, and I'm glad because actually images can images are so powerful and I think if we're making much more responsibly and we're not just littering the world with the same duplicative stuff I think help holding ourselves and the community much more responsible I think is really is really important I recently did a um, a talk at the Cardiff Museum the museum of my like kind of hometown and it was amazing to go home and speak at the museum where I used to like hang out as a young emo so it was amazing to go there and chat to all these young photographers who are from there and the thing that I actually um, the thing that I took away from it was in London and in New York, we're so driven by our own like search for like sort of self and self-fulfillment and validation of our work that we've become quite sort of, we've become these little islands where we, we don't quite want to put ourselves up for criticism. And so we don't really band together because there's so many people here, right? Everyone is like competitive and wants to do great and everyone's outwardly brave. Whereas in Wales, where I'm from, there's not a lot of people that are doing that. And that was, it was actually really beautiful to see after the talk, we kind of got all got together and talked about how to kind of instill a sense of community and a photography club. And obviously I'm not there, but it was nice to be part of those conversations. And something that I was so like, different to me was the way that they were all really supporting each other they wanted to hold each other accountable for their bravery they wanted to give each other candid feedback about their work and I thought wow you've had to do that because you're that's been born out of a need because there's no sense of that you know community here in terms of the, the creative community for photography in in Wales where I'm from and so I kind of thought oh that's interesting because that wouldn't happen in New York and London I, I don't think people are kind of scared to seek out advice and feedback and critique unless it's in a one-on-one situation but it, it would be so much better if everyone kind of got together and had an opinion about each other's work and pushed each other's work forward and sort of shared the responsibility. That was one of the things that I really loved about our conversation for the piece I wrote about authorship for It's Nice That. This idea that we've started to operate as groups of creatives speaking to certain topics rather than individuals. This idea that together we're stronger because we're bringing different points of view and if we look at any aspect of society or culture now, none of the issues we're facing are going to be resolved by individuals. There's definitely a shift happening. I've noticed, especially here and working at Refinery, in identifying ourselves more as creatives, 
and and collectives. I think there's like this power of banding together to create something that was previously um, ignored. I feel like as well during the, like the 90s and like early 2000s, it was like the like this crowned author, you know, this like artist yeah. king. And like, I feel like that is like so passe and like so uncool now. Like no one wants to really like at like they are the one person that kind of burst this work it wants to feel like a collective and I definitely have got that I've learned a lot about that from being at refinery which always feels like a collective effort and we will commission groups of people we'll commission like several writers to collaborate on a piece like it's all very much about as many voices you can bring to the table to bring as many different perspectives and I do think that some of those some male photographers who have been around since that time have kind of fallen from their throne and are a bit confused now about how to operate because having mm. an ego and being a diva and turning up late and like having your assistant set up everything and then just clicking the button was kind of chic and it made them feel powerful and it made them feel like that's what photography was about you know like this like rock star thing and now Absolutely. it's almost like cooler if you don't have this crazy production you don't need this all this wasteful catering you actually are much scrappier and you're able to kind of figure it out yourself and you've got a studio in your house and I just feels like it's taking a turn where that stuff is becoming very like gross and wasteful and like ego driven and actually now it's more about the collective um creative output it's this idea that to make the best work, we all need to be more vulnerable and more collaborative. You need to be really confident with yourself and your contribution to collaborate in that kind of way and be that generous, I think. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like we we all struggle with that. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of credit-hungry industry. You know, you want to make sure you tag your name onto something. And I, I've definitely felt like that in the past. And I think as well, the, the again, the advertising sort of world and that, that system is so hierarchical. It kind of, you know, you're all under that CD and you're all, you know, making for that one human. And it, it, we enforce that, you know, and it's so stupid because creativity is, it just doesn't work like that, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of the systems around us and the processes still operate in that way which in which I think kind of reinforces it and it's incredibly toxic and that's been actually one of the big learnings I mean there has been so many learnings from from working at refinery it's been game changer I mean it was a very steep learning curve for me I I was it was a big step up um I was suddenly overseeing a team um I was responsible for a lot of work and a lot of crafts that I maybe hadn't had like a depth of knowledge in you know like design like I dabbled in all of those things but it's suddenly a lot harder when you're responsible um for for all of that work and it was really tough my imposter syndrome was fucking intense like the first <laughs> six months I was like who am I why am I here I don't deserve to be here and then the other the, the six months following that was just a really steep learning curve because it's such a different system you know in advertising you kind of it's like a bit of a like sausage machine advertising you sort of go through you get the brief you come up with an idea that they probably will buy if they do you make it it gets watered down it goes into the world and you're not accountable for whether it's good or not and that's kind of like what was happening and so being at refinery I suddenly had to try and balance refinery as a brand and then my brand partners and what they needed and their KPIs and then you know pushing forward the aesthetic pushing forward the mission you know making sure that the audience was going to respond well to it that it was going to deliver and it's just Suddenly, I felt so accountable for so much, um, but I've done a lot of growing. I've done a lot of growing at Refinery. And one of the things that, I, that has been really nice to see is the amount of, I mean, obviously, we're a female-driven uh, company, but there is also a lot of women that work at Refinery. Um, 
I mean, I think we're about 500 now, and I would say about 450 are, are women. So it's a lot of millennial women in one place. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's like, it's kind of amazing because everyone brings so much to it, and everyone gets up for the mission. It's great to work for a place where everyone really believes why we're all hanging out there. Like, what are we doing? We know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's also though very because the, the subjects that we're t- talking about are inherently personal it's also very emotionally driven and that can actually be challenging when it comes to creativity I think because everyone's pouring a piece of themselves into it and how can you then you know the client maybe maybe that isn't right for the client or maybe it has to you know you have to give feedback and it it becomes so personal so it's kind of the other way as well which I found quite interesting so I just wanted to talk a little bit about commissioning and after moving stateside, have you noticed any key differences between commissioning in the UK versus the US? I think in the UK, things are a little more sort of feral, like anyone can be anyone could be the one, right? It's like, who's best for the job? And you seek out that person. And it doesn't matter if they've got representation or not. Maybe they've not shot commercially yet. Like, fuck it, you take a chance, you know? And I think that we're a little more, we're a little more bold, I would say, back home. Yeah. Um, here, I would say things are a little more um like they it runs more on the agencies and it feels a little more like it goes through that process which I actually have struggled with because I much prefer the kind of randomness of finding someone on Instagram and then DMing them and being like come in here and bring your book oh you don't have a book well don't worry just bring some images and we'll just look (laughs) through them yeah and like that I really enjoy um you know I really enjoy like finding these people who you know, have worked really hard and have, have stuck at their voice and have stuck at what they want to do. And now it's their moment, you know, it's their moment to take on this big job and to, and they are excited for the challenge. I feel like there's less, um, there's less of that in New York, I would say, but not to say that there's less creatives making, there are so many amazing people here making, I just think, um, and maybe that's also, a, a, you know, the shift in the industry, uh, less the location, but more that the industry has less money to spend. And yeah. when they are commissioning, it has to be like buttoned up. And maybe the reason they always go to that agent is because they got friend, their friends and they get a good rate and they know they can turn it over. They know it's a sure thing. And yeah. there's definitely that element here, I would say. Um, although, again, Refinery is very, very different in that, you know, we are, we're always championing like female creatives, emerging female creatives. Like a lot of the um, illustrators and photographers that we work with um yeah, they're, they're, they're relatively unknown. They'll have no following or no Instagram following or no agent. And it's just about giving them a platform because that's part of our mission, you know, giving female creatives a platform to like make and have their voice um, and, their, and their images seen. So that's a that's been quite a different experience, I would say. Um, but I also think here there's less of the, um, the kind of cheesy, which is ironic because it's America, but there's less of the kind of cheesy promo vibe, I would say. Oh, interesting. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, yeah, I, I am too. Like, I don't really get any of that stuff, actually. Um, there's definitely people that, like, want to, like, reach out and want to show you their work. But I think a lot of people um, are using are using the, the cle- clever channels, like getting on panels and talking about things or, you know, doing a series of videos. And that's another thing I've noticed here. It's less like I'm a photographer. I'm a video director. I'm an illustrator. It's more just like I'm a creative. Here's my output. I make photos. I make video. I and that I think is something that the UK could learn from because back home I feel like we love aligning ourselves to one master craft. And actually, maybe that's just not the way that work is anymore. Maybe it's like we are all responsible for making stuff. 
And so we should constantly be growing. Like right now, you know, this year I'm kind of tasking myself with getting really good at typography. It's something I, I'm knowledgeable about and I'm passionate about, but I don't really know how to physically do it. And so I've been taking a lot of courses at this place called General Assembly, which has been great. Um, but I think there's definitely much more of that vibe here. Like what is your output overall? Like irrelevant of what craft, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. And that really feels like exactly where we should be. I also wanted to discuss gays and ethics with you because there's a lot of conversation now questioning who can tell which stories. And the camera is such a powerful tool. I think this responsibility can often be forgotten. Images are really responsible for how we perceive and experience the world. They form opinions and have the power to build or break stereotypes. So I'm really curious, do you think this is something that creatives are taking more seriously? Yeah, I would actually say, and I feel really happy to say this, that I I've definitely noticed in the last year even that people are taking that responsibility seriously. Like it's suddenly, and I couldn't agree with you more, like images are so powerful and they have the potential to silence someone or give them a stage to speak. And I think it's been really wonderful to see um, creatives and, you know, sp- specifically photographers, I would say, really rise to that challenge, especially over here. Um, but, but then interestingly, I've seen some people fall away. Others who, photographers who maybe I've followed for a little while that have maybe fallen away and have felt scared by that because it is enormous and people are out there to criticize you yeah. if you if you don't show up and represent um, a subject in a, in a way that feels sincere to your experience or theirs. And that is, that is you know, pretty intimidating, I would say. Um, so I think gone are the days of just kind of shooting for the sake of it and putting it out there and, and not really thinking about the repercussions. I think now, if you're up for that challenge, your career will soar. But if you're not, you'll kind of be stifled by that um, the, the weight of that responsibility. And I've, I've definitely seen that. But it's been really special, I think, to see people, um, you know, of, uh, you know, people of minority step up to represent that experience. Whereas previously, I think other people in a more privileged position creatively have always represented that that voice and that experience incorrectly or not, whatever. But it's been I think it's been really special to see people actually tell their story um, yeah. themselves and use creativity as a way to, to to claim that space and reclaim that narrative that belongs to them truly. Um, and I think that's really special seeing seeing some of these stories being told kind of for the first time. And how do you navigate your ethics and responsibilities as a commissioner? Yeah, I think it's something that I've actually, I, it sounds very like, like a big weight to carry, but I have actually found it just like breathing. Like you, you need to tell a story. You need to capture a subject. There is no one better than somebody who can relate to that story. And it's actually made commissioning easier because like, obviously, like there's, there's not this case of like, okay, we need to try and find a woman. Like, uh, does anyone represent a single female photographer? Because frankly, 10 years ago, I struggled to find one. And yeah. I would comb through the, the the photo agencies and think, okay, cool. So you don't represent anyone that isn't white and male. Sweet, got it. I'll have to go and find my own people. And now I think actually agencies, as in representation agencies, have caught on to the fact that you need those people to tell their experience and no one can do that. And so actually I think commissioners jobs have become much easier because those voices have really been raised up and brought to the forefront. And, you know, say that there's somebody who say, say that we're, we're shooting a story about gender identity um, or we're shooting a story about motherhood. 
the, the, there's no question in my mind that the person who is responsible for that lens and that gaze is has to be someone who is able to identify with that experience to pull in you know that intimacy and authenticity out of the subject um but also to ensure that it has that 360 click like i think about that when i think about projects it can't just be that what the audience sees and what's in front of the camera is sincere. It has to be a 360 loop where you, you know, everyone behind the scenes, everybody that's contributed to bringing that to the forefront has in some way related to that topic and feels passionately about that topic. Cause it's how you make the best work, frankly. And I think that makes it easier as a commissioner because, you know, it should be a mum or a mum who, um, you know, shooting other mums that makes a lot of sense unless you're, you're playing with, um, representation and opinions and you're doing it on purpose I think that then becomes really interesting when it comes when we allow um identities to shoot other identities and bring their um thinking to it I think that's just made commissioning so much more interesting because before I feel like there wasn't that selection and now it's like wow the, the 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 messages that we can put out there as commissioners have just become so important and so massive and we can make someone's career I think that's a really important point. And while it's critical, we truly consider who should be telling these stories in an authentic and relevant way. There's definitely room for cross-pollination and to create some really interesting outcomes that bring another dimension to storytelling. Because otherwise you have this weird echo chamber of like opinion that that can actually become quite one-dimensional. I agree with you. But I yeah. think it's yeah. our job as people who commission and make work and orchestrate that set and bring everything together to make sure that that message the reason we've done that is is for is because we want to bring another dimension to the work and i think that something we talk about a lot at refinery is uh, male allyship and bringing um male voices and opinions into our space because we don't want to be a platform that just is like obviously for and by women but then women are just kind of rattling around talking about the same shit in you know all all nodding our heads and agreeing but how are we proliferating that message and actually creating real world change? And I think to your point earlier, it's the divisiveness and the echo chambers that get us in the position we're in, you know, politically. So I think the more that we can share those experiences and give each other platforms to um, to create, I think the better. I totally agree. So to finish up, I'm asking all our guests for one piece of advice you'd give other creatives. Oh, that's tricky. Um one piece of advice and it's some advice I should probably take myself is um, to not fear, to not fear the landscape, to not fear all of the change and all of the gray and the, because actually I think it's never been more, there's never been a more exciting time to make work because now we're all responsible for our work, actually meaning something and saying something and pushing us forward as a, as a, as a planet. And I think that to have images suddenly be taken so seriously is, is epic like what a wonderful place we're in where creativity isn't just a frivolous nice to have but is actually a platform for real world change and businesses and bottom lines know that like this is our time to push forward the work that we actually want to make um but we just need to be brave and where can people find you on the internet um on instagram probably um lydia underscore pang underscore um lydiapang.com is our website if you want to have a gander Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at gemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.